Welcome to episode 73 of the Search with Canada podcast, recorded on Friday the 7th of August 2020. My name is Mark Williams-Cook, and today we're going to be talking about the infrastructure changes to the Search Console API and who might be affected by those. We'll talk a little bit about the new search quality rater information that we've seen published from Google and what that means. And in a related theme, we're going to be talking about myth-busting SEO ranking factors. This piece of news probably only affects a small percentage of our listeners, but for those that are using the Search Console API, hopefully you already know about this announcement. It was only made yesterday at the time of recording, so it was made yesterday on the 6th of August, but it's pretty important uh, just to be aware of. So again, as usual, I will link to the Google announcement on our show notes, which you can find at search.withcanda.co.uk. Uh, but this blog post just talks through three things that are going to be changing with the Search Console API. Two of them, it looks like you might need to take action for uh, one, uh, it seems unlikely. So if you're not someone that's querying the Search Console API yourself, or you don't kind of look after a tool that does that, then you don't need to worry about this bit. Uh, it can be purely of interest for you. If you are querying the API or doing stuff with your own data with it, maybe for like a WordPress plugin, there's three changes you need to be aware of. So this is what the blog post says about the three changes. So number one is changes on Google Cloud Platform dashboard. And from this, it says we're going to see a drop in the old API usage report and an increase in the new one. That doesn't actually seem to kind of directly impact anyone in terms of you need to do anything. But the next two changes, you may well need to change something. Uh, your end. So the second one is API key restriction changes. So if you've previously set up API key restrictions, you might need to actually change them to make them continue working. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. And their third point is discovery document changes, which they say if you're querying the API using a third party API library or querying the webmaster's discovery document directly, you will need to update what you're doing by the end of the year. There is a note that uh, the other, other than these changes, the API is backwards compatible. So this means as long as your API key stuff is sorted and the third party API querying is sorted, nothing, fingers crossed, uh, should break. So I'm gonna skip over the first one uh, as it just seems to be a reporting thing, but the API restrictions and discovery document changes, I'll quickly go over now and tell you what they have to say. So the API key restriction changes. Uh, the blog post says, as mentioned in the introduction, these instructions are important only if you query the data yourself or provide a tool that does this for your users. To check if you have an API restriction active on your API key, they give you a link to follow some steps. Um, but basically, you need to make sure that your Search Console API key is not restricted. 
If you have a restriction on your API key, you need to undo that and make it unrestricted by August the 31st. So that's only actually three weeks time, so not very long uh, to change that. It also says in order to allow your API calls to be migrated automatically to the new API infrastructure, you need to make sure that the API is not restricted. So that's the, the reason essentially for this. So you previously could lock down your API calls to be restricted to certain uh, processes that you define. And I guess Google wants to run this update to kind of upgrade everything for you, but they can't do that if you set the key as restricted. So they give you a guide uh, which we'll link to on how to do that. And second is the discovery document changes, which I've read through this and it's not uh, crystal clear to me, I think, uh, what's happening here. So they say, if you're querying the Search Console API using an external API library or querying the Webmasters API discovering document directly, you will need to take action as will drop the support in the Webmasters discovery document. Our current plan is to support it until the 31st of December 2020, but we'll provide more details and guidance in coming months. So it looks like they are dropping support on some external API libraries, although that's not 100% clear. Uh, so very much uh, worth keeping an eye on that and any future announcements and guidance they do give. Um, as to how you need to now access the Search Console API. These next two segments are kind of related um, and they're quite interesting. So this week on the 4th of August, which was Tuesday, Danny Sullivan made a post on the blog.google called How Insights from People Around the World Make Google Search Better. And of particular interest in this post he did was talking about search quality raters. And I'm a strong, I strongly suspect that this clarification because there's nothing particularly new in here but this clarification probably is coming up as in our last episode even we were talking about google search ranking factors and how they use uh data from users and click data especially with the commission hearing that's been happening with the online marketplace dominance and i think google's just trying to solidify their position about what what they actually do and what data they use. And it's it's good to have an up-to-date source uh, stating this, uh, I think, fairly clearly. So I'm I'm just going to read this verbatim as I think it's important that, you know, with, as with anything Google publishes, there are several ways you could interpret this. And I'll give you my interpretation uh, along with the next segment that's, that's related to this. Uh, so the post says... Every Google search you do is one of billions we receive that day. In less than half a second, our systems sort through hundreds of billions of web pages to try and find the most relevant and helpful results available. Because the web and people's information keeps changing, we make a lot of improvements to our search algorithms to keep up. Thousands per year, in fact. 
and we're always working on new ways to make our results more helpful, whether it's a new feature or bringing new language understanding capabilities to search. And that's linked to their, uh, their upgrade using BERT that we covered before. The improvements we make go through an evaluation process designed so that people around the world continue to find Google useful for whatever they're looking for. Here are some ways that insights and feedback from people around the world help make search better. So there's a couple of sections here. I'll go through with you three sections. So our research team at work. Changes that we make to search are aimed at making it easier for people to find useful information. But depending on their interests, what language they speak and where they are in the world, different people have different information needs. It's our mission to make information universally accessible and useful, and we're committed to serving all of our users in pursuit of that goal. This is why we have a research team whose job is to talk to people around the world to understand how search can be more useful. We invite people to give us feedback on different iterations of our projects, and we do field research to understand how people in different communities access information online. For example, we learned over the years about the unique needs and technical limitations that people in emerging markets have when accessing information online. So we developed Google Go, a lightweight search app that works well with less powerful phones and less reliable connections. On Google Go, we've also introduced uniquely helpful features, including one that lets you listen to web pages out loud which is particularly useful for people learning a new language or who may be less comfortable with reading long text. Features like these would not be possible without insights from the people who ultimately use them. So I think that's um, fairly, um, that, that's kind of outside of SEO in a way. Um, and I, I don't think that should be unexpected from anyone that Google obviously does this qualitative research uh, kind of on the ground with different users. Um, and it's certainly something we've seen even with the they've linked to their their work they did with BERT and understanding queries and it's always interesting that you know the English language is still their primary language they work with so a lot of these new search features happen in English first um, you get better results in English the systems are trained on English and then it slowly rolls out uh, to other languages so it's this second part of the document that I'm particularly interested in because this is talking specifically about search quality raters. So what they say about search quality raters is a key part of our evaluation process is getting feedback from everyday users about whether our ranking systems and proposed improvements are working well. But what do we mean by working well? We publish publicly available rater guidelines that describe in great detail how our systems intend to surface great content. These guidelines are more than 160 pages long, but if we have to boil it down to just a phrase, we like to say that search is designed to return relevant results from the most reliable sources available. Our systems use signals from the web itself, like where words in your search appear on web pages or how pages link to one another on the web. So they're talking just about their kind of text analysis there and you know, PageRank and the other systems they've got for analyzing how sites link together. To understand what information is related to your query and whether it's information that people tend to trust. But notions of relevance and trustworthiness 
are ultimately human judgments. So to measure whether our systems are in fact understanding these correctly, we need to gather insights from people. And I think that's a really interesting uh, point to make and for marketers, for web content writers, for SEOs to think about, which is that this notion of what is relevant, what is trustworthy and what is a good result is subjective. It will change from person to person. So you could ask 100 people if you think a particular search result is good and you may get different answers from all of them. So it's very difficult for them to train or build a search system that has the quote unquote correct ranking when you know humans themselves can't even agree and this is what I spoke about in the last episode around it didn't particularly surprise me to you know hear people talking about this search quality rater data being used to train this system in terms of if lots of people say this set of pages is good for a particular reason that you've got models that can then work out maybe what are the commonality between these pages that wasn't being considered before. So they go on and say, to do this, we have a group of more than 10,000 people all over the world we call search quality raters. Raters help us measure how people are likely to experience our results. They provide ratings based on our guidelines and represent real users and their likely information needs using their best judgment to represent their locale. These people study and are tested on our rated guidelines before they can begin providing ratings. And then they go on to how ratings work. Here's how a rated task works. We generate a sample of queries, say a few hundred. A group of raters will be assigned this set of queries and they're shown two versions of results pages for those searches. One set of results is from the current version of Google. The other set is from an improvement we're considering. Raters review every page listed in the results set and evaluate that page against the query based on our rater guidelines. They evaluate whether those pages meet the information needs based on their understanding of what the query was seeking and they consider things like how authoritative and how trustworthy that source seems to be on the topic in the query. To evaluate things like expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness, sometimes referred to as EAT, EAT, raters are asked to do reputational research on the sources. Here's what that looks like in practice. Imagine the sample query is carrot cake recipe. The results set may include articles from recipe sites, food magazines, food brands, and perhaps blogs. To determine if a web page meets their informational needs, a rater might consider how easy the cooking instructions are to understand, how helpful the recipe is in terms of visual instructions and imagery, and whether there are other useful features on the site like a shopping list creator or calculator for recipe doubling. To understand if the author has subject matter expertise, a rater would do some online research to see if the author has cooking credentials, has been profiled or referenced on food websites, or has produced other great content that has garnered positive reviews or ratings on recipe sites. Basically, they do some digging to answer questions like, is this page trustworthy and does it come from a site or author with a good reputation? 
And here's the key thing I think that gets misunderstood. So they've titled up this section that says ratings are not used directly for search ranking. So once raters have done this research, they then provide a quality rating for each page. It's important to note that this rating does not directly impact how this page or site ranks in search. Nobody is deciding that any given source is quote-unquote authoritative or trustworthy. In particular, pages are not assigned ratings as a way to determine how well to rank them. Indeed, that would be an impossible task and a poor signal for us to use. With hundreds of billions of pages that are constantly changing, there's no way humans could evaluate every page on a recurring basis. Instead, ratings are a data point when taken in aggregate helps us measure how well our systems are working to deliver great content that's aligned to how people across the country and across the world evaluate information. And then they go and say, last year alone, we did more than 383,605 search quality tests and 62,937 side-by-side experiments with our search quality raters to measure the quality of our results and help us make more than 3,600 improvements to our search algorithms. So I think that's obviously always interesting as well. So people talk about Uh, you know, oh, has this Google update happened? Has this Google update happened? They are, you know, as an industry, we're referring to what we call core ranking updates, which are essentially, you know, noticeable big shifts in search that maybe target specific pain points. But actually in the background, we have, you know, this is averaging out at 10 changes to the algorithm per day. And all of those incremental changes over the period of a year are likely to slowly change search you know quite drastically so it does become harder as well to get a grip on if something is changing if your competitors start out ranking you or you start ranking better if actually that was something you did or whether it's just the algorithms have adapted and now you're getting credit where it's finally due and lastly they talk about in product experiments and they say our research and rate of feedback isn't the only feedback when we uh, when we use when making improvements we also need to understand how a new feature will work when it's actually available in search and people are using it as they would in real life to make sure we're able to get these insights we test how people interact with new features through live experiments they're called live experiments because they're actually available to a small proportion of randomly selected people using the current version of search. So just last month, we were seeing some uh, some live result or some live experiments that people were reporting on where the first place Google ad and the first place organic ranking were both using much a much larger font size. So they go and say, did people click or tap on the new feature? Did most people just scroll past it? did it make the page slower? These insights are helpful uh, to us to understand quite a bit about whether a new feature or change is helpful and if people will actually use it. So this is again another way that Google is saying and has always said, look, we are using you know, user data, click data for search quality. And they're talking about this, you know, in live experiments, they're saying look, we use how people interact with these different features and layouts and ratings and whatever to to see if it's working. And they go and say, in 
2019, we ran more than 17,000 live experiments to test out new features and improvements to search. If you compare that to with how many launches actually happened, around 3,600, you can see that only the best and most useful improvements make it into search. So I thought this was, you know, again, hopefully this shouldn't be anything new or kind of groundbreaking for anyone. But the, the key points I think to take away from this are that, you know, yes, Google is still obviously using, as they have done now for years and years and years, these search quality raters. It does seem like that is now a very tried and tested way for them to improve the search quality and maybe, you know, look at um, uh, ways to use their internal tooling to make their algorithm better based on that essentially labeled data. I think it's particularly interesting how they've broken it down in this post saying they, you know, with their rated guidelines, they do things like kind of rate how well, the, how good the page information is. And then they look at, you know, is the author trustworthy? So they seem to have almost broken down, you know, maybe there's this part of the algorithm that does this and this part that does this. And they're getting humans to, you know, label data within those categories. So maybe they could feed that back to those parts of the system to see how they're performing and where the, the gaps are emerging or, or aren't. You know, not a surprise, but that that is, you know, user uh, or, or internal data that is being used to to improve search quality. Same with um, same with the live experiments. You know, they're saying, yeah, we're using click data. We're using, you know, things like load times to to judge if these are working um, and the takeaway just that, you know, these changes are small and happening all the time it's not like we're just getting one or two google updates per year and everything else is is just changing because of uh because of seo and website activity so out the back of all this i want to finish on a segment that's basically it's kind of related and I want to start with a tweet I saw from Cyrus Shepard that said, if Google talked about cars the way they talk about ranking signals, and then he's kind of put a, a me as in him and Google uh, conversation. So he says, me, does the car use gas? Google, it doesn't work like that. Gas is messy. It would be hard. Me, but I've literally seen you put gas in the car. Google, we may use gas for evaluative purposes. SEOs focus too much on gas. And, you know, I, I understand this is a joke and this is, you know, Cyrus's way of saying that, you know, Google can talk in a very roundabout way about how they are, you know, using certain things within search. And, you know, I, I uh, probably am defending Google more recently than I ever have before. And not because I think Google's, you know, super straightforward about everything there's there's certainly not and as i said before it's definitely in their interest for you know the wider population not to know how certain things are working uh, i've put my own version of this which is i think i think it's fairer so my conversation if google talked about cars the way they talk about ranking signals would be me gas makes the car go faster right google lots of things make a car go faster me, but we have data showing that going faster uses more gas. Google, it's not a core way we generate speed. Me, well, I've added another gas tank on my car and now it's slower. And I think hopefully this example highlights 
because we maybe understand cars a bit better, or some of us do, maybe not me. Uh, my, my, I probably know more about Google than I do about cars, but hopefully, in general, uh, people will know more about maybe the working of cars than, than Google's algorithm. And I think it's interesting, maybe as a thought kind of experiment to sometimes how we get the wrong end of the stick. So obviously, if we, you know, if you whack your foot down on the accelerator, your car's going to guzzle more petrol, gas, depending on in the uh, states or in the UK, but it's going to use more gas, right? And as SEOs, we kind of see the those factors from the outside. You know, there are certain things we can observe and, you know, someone might do one of their correlation reports and they say, hey, look, we've worked out that all these cars that are traveling fast, all of them are using more gas. So we can then come to the conclusion that because we don't know anything else about the workings of the car that, well, you know, we, we just need it we just need to put more gas in and it will go faster. But obviously knowing about cars, it you know, we can think it's got to do with engine size and it's got to do even with things like, you know, the aerodynamics of the car and whether we're driving uphill or downhill or off-road and the weight of the car. Um, so there's lots of things that do contribute to the speed of the car. And I think sometimes this is what Google, why Google is trying to carefully word what they say because it can be very easy for a majority of SEOs, which and the majority, because it's still a fairly um, fairly young discipline in terms of other types of marketing, you know, might end up doing things that are really not helpful for them. So, you know, if Google in this example said, you know, well, yes, you know, faster cars, you know, use more gas, then you would have people doing the equivalent of, you know, sellotaping a second and third gas tank onto their car thinking it's going to make them go faster and obviously this is a complete waste of time for everyone so i just wanted to share that with you because it did kind of tickle me and it brings me on to a, a search engine land post that barry schwartz put together which is called seo myth busting what is not a google search ranking factor and I want to, I'll, I'll link to this again in the show notes at search.withcanada.co.uk and I wanted to bring it up because I think it's a nice compilation of all of the things that Google says it doesn't use these signals when it's trying to work out where to rank your site in organic search. So I'm just going to read through this list um, and then I'll talk a little bit more about it. So here is the list that Barry's put together of signals that Google have said at some point are not direct ranking signals in its search algorithms. So we start with search quality rated guidelines ratings, as we just spoke about, Google ads, social media mentions or likes, click-through rates from search results, pogo sticking back to the search results page, dwell time on a page, bounce rates, user engagement data, on your web pages, user behavior, Chrome data outside of core web vitals, Google Analytics data, toolbar data, traffic on a website, shopping cart abandonment, eat, that's authority, um, sorry, expertise, authority, trustworthiness we just spoke about, um, responsive design, AMP, content accuracy, author bios, Structured data markup, word count, outbound links, product prices, URL length, accessibility, stars, ratings, and reviews, Better Business Bureau, trust organizations and badges, domain age, 
3D and augmented reality images, email newsletter signups, Google Plus Ones, real life user signals, higher page counts, content frequency, Moz domain authority. So that's that's the big list. Um, now, <laughs> I think, you know, most of these should be fairly obvious and straightforward. Some are certainly, especially when it comes to things like click-through rates and dwell times, some are debated a lot more hotly than others. The only thing I think is helpful to frame this whole conversation is that I have always noticed when Google talks about these things, and I may be wrong on this, but it's just something I've noticed, they've always talked about their core search algorithm. And we saw, and I did speak about this many episodes ago now, when there was that dump of internal Google ranking documents and it mentioned things like Google's Twiddler framework, as they called it. And if you haven't heard about that, essentially it was this Twiddler framework was a way for you to add extra kind of bits of code, if you like. I'm really, uh, I'm sure there are Google engineers, if they did listen to this, would be cringing, but it looked like this Twiddler framework was a way for you essentially to add code on top of the core algorithm to fine tune results. Um, and so certainly we've seen things like when certain results have achieved a, a lot higher click-through rate than news or lots of clicks, we've certainly seen temporary ranking shifts. And this is an example I use because it does make logical sense that if a particular uh, subject or company is mentioned in the news, for instance, and lots of people search around this, it does look like or it does change the search intent and it's a good idea and the search engine should change the results it's showing to match this. All of the studies I've seen with click-through rate seem to be temporary effects in that, yes, I've seen websites change ranking sometimes, it looks like, because they've received a lot more clicks than they normally would have, but that never seems to last from the experiments I've seen, if anything happens at all. So this, in my opinion, could be other um, ways that Google are adding things on top of what they consider to be their core search algorithm. Um, and certainly, you know, we know for a fact, uh, because of brilliant talks like Paul Ha has done, that things like the features we see in search are kind of added or generated after all the core ranking stuff is done. And that's arguable then about from a user or SEO point of view, whether we consider that to be a ranking factor or a core ranking factor, because at the end of the day, it's what people type in and what they see first in Google. So whether or not you you would consider that a core ranking factor, if you've got that big carousel at the top that you know everyone's clicking on, that's what we're interested in. But anyway, uh, I'll link to this post. I just thought it was a nice uh, list and every single one of these things that's listed on here has a link to a source which has got uh, a Googler normally making that statement fairly clearly. So it's a good thing to kind of ground yourself with uh, and maybe save you some time if you are going too, too far, maybe down a path just in the name of SEO. And that's all I've got time for this week. 
I will be back on Monday, the 17th of August. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review. Please subscribe, share it with a friend, share it with your mum. And I hope to hear from you or I hope you'll listen in and hear me uh, next week.